Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. I'm excited today because I have uh, Adam Miller uh, on the MBA Insider podcast. Um, Adam is a MBA student in the class of 2020 at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. Um, Adam also is featured in MBA Insider very prominently, and I'm also excited because Adam is a podcast host himself, and I will absolutely let him get a chance to talk about that. But first and foremost, Adam, thank you so much for being here. I guess maybe just to start, uh, just give us the rundown of of who you are, you know, the, the age old kind of, give me your elevator pitch. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Al. I'll give you the 30 second pitch and then we can go from there. So I'm from the Midwest originally, worked at a really strange insurance company in Minneapolis, Minnesota, before coming to business school for five years. Uh, It was both a Fortune 500 and a not-for-profit. Worked in strategy, innovation, and HR. And last summer, did my internship at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And this coming summer, uh, fingers crossed, I'll be going to the Red Cross. Congratulations on the offer and going to Red Cross and also for uh, choosing a uh, uh, choosing career path that where you're going to definitely make an impact in the lives of others. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And so I guess thinking about jobs, I guess maybe just to start, I always like to start with a warm up icebreaker, take us back, you know, what, uh, what was your first job and what did it, what did it teach you as you think back upon it? Well, my first job I ever had was I was actually uh, a meat man in a grocery store. <laughs> so I worked there for 18 months in high school. And my first year, I was basically the dishwasher. And what that meant was all of the gross meat that uh, sat in these trays, um, I had to clean the trays and all the surfaces that those trays sat on. So until I got promoted to actually being the person on the front counter serving people, what I learned was probably two important things. One, how to um, get through really cold Uh, wet, (laughs) long four and a half hour shifts. Uh, And you know, that's kind of a metaphor for other times in your life when when you're either bored or you're uh, having to go through the slog of whatever your job looks like. And then second, once I was promoted to the the front counter person, really getting good at customer service. I oftentimes saw some of my coaches or my teachers or my friends' parents come in and, and buy stuff. And figuring out um, whether it was giving them a small discount or just how to interact with them in a professional manner beyond just being a little Adam. I think that's I think that's great. I love that. And I also had a customer service job of sorts when I was when I was in middle school and in high school. I worked at a golf course, so I cleaned golf club, cleaned golf carts, cleaned golf clubs, and I learned so much about just how to communicate with others, but also how to be attentive to their needs. And I am a big fan if you know, if you're an, um, a teenager and you have the means to do it, to, to get a job like that, because I, to your point, like I do think it teaches you the exact two same lessons in terms of being able to, to do a task that may or may not be the most glamorous and to, mm-hmm. to still 
have the um, uh, drive to do it well. And then number two, how to, how to relate to others and, 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 and how to communicate with others. So uh, I love that. I love how that was your first job. <laughs> so let's jump right in. Think back to before you came to Darden, um, you know, why did you choose to, to even apply to business school in the first place? Mm. Um, you know, what, you know, what was kind of going through your mind and, you know, how were you thinking about, you know, your, your career at that point? And what did you think an MBA was really going to do for you? Yeah. So I thought given the, the organization I was at, where most people who had their MBA were in upper management and had gone to the University of Minnesota, that I thought that getting your MBA meant you had to be like 35, 45, you know, 50 plus years old. I didn't understand when people went to grad school for this degree. So it wasn't until my second job there when I was um, in the internal strategy group for a year that everyone had their MBA except for me. And these folks, uh, really sat me down after a couple of months and said, hey, we think you should probably take the GMAT and start going on this path. And I, again, still didn't really click to me like, oh, they're all kind of in their early 30s. Um, that if you backtrack me in my mid-20s, it might have made sense to start that process. So that was more the tactical reason why this made sense, is I had these mentors who had also gone to business school. But the higher level reason was I didn't see myself actually working there forever. The organization uh, was a Christian organization. You had to be Christian, and you still do, to buy any of their insurance products. So weird business model, but I'm actually Jewish. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be the CEO of this company someday talking about the, the quarterly earnings and, and some part from, from the New Testament. And so <laughs> anything with the Old Testament, uh, more comfortable with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just knew at some point, even though I loved this place and people's tenure was on average like 10, 15 years, at some point I was going to go somewhere else. And business school seemed like an excellent way to do that. I was probably one of the few people in my class at, at business school that I noticed that actually um, really loved my job for all five years while I was there, but it just wasn't going to be the place I was going to be forever. And so the, the thing that I told admissions officers that is still true long-term but I've changed the way I'm going to get there is I want to be a chief people officer, a chief diversity and inclusion officer, because I just love working with other people and making them feel included. So that was, that was my big vision uh, going into the process. Great. No, I, and I, I love, I, I love how you talked a little bit about some of those longer term goals, but also understanding that an MBA could give you lots of different paths in order to achieve some of those longer term goals. And so you go through the process and you land on Darden. Um, mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends who've gone to Darden, who are alum, who go there now. Um, so I, I personally think very highly of it, but you know, why did you choose Darden yourself? And you know, how has it met some of those expectations you had coming into the MBA program? Yeah, good question. Uh, three reasons why I picked Darden uh, and really two for why I applied and then one for why I ultimately picked it. I feel like those are two separate parts of the process. Sure. So one thing that I really wanted was a smaller school, one that felt kind of remote, felt like uh, people weren't going to escape to a really big city uh, in their free time and see their other friends. So I also looked at Duke, at Yale, at Michigan, at Dartmouth, kind of the, the same schools sure. um, around Darden. And then the other big reason why I was attracted to Darden in particular was it, unlike other programs that sort of have shied away from their external brand. 
you know, I feel like some programs have a um, uh, sort of a, a marketing leaning or a finance leaning or a consulting leaning. Darden has leaned into the case method more and more over the years and emphasizing the academic environment. It's actually something that I think is special. We basically stole the same thing that HBS, uh, Harvard Business School does with the case method and take it like even 10% more seriously than they do. So having gone to a liberal arts college, uh, Carleton College for undergrad in Minnesota, I, I loved the idea of not just getting a great job, not just having a quote unquote network, but also learning a ton while I was gonna be there for two years. And the case method helps you give, helps give you that as much as, um, certainly I think as much as a lecture style would, but not quite as much of course as on the job learning. And then ultimately the reason I picked it, the third reason was I got a scholarship. I feel like people don't talk about that honest sure. to goodness reason enough. Yeah. Um, especially going back in a nonprofit now, I might not have made that same decision if I had an extra $150,000 in student loan debt. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a it's a real it's a reality it's a reality of the world, right? Um, business school is expensive in the short term. You know, certainly, I, I think there's a lot of great research out there on the long term value of the degree. But yeah, you're shelling out some big bucks up front, <laughs> and money helps. So a couple of things you said there. Number one, and I'm a little biased because I went to UNC Keenan Flagler, which is also in a college town and a little bit smaller. Uh, I really love that in 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 an MBA program, and everyone's different, but the thing that stuck out to me about it was that community like feel. And then the other element of it, which you touched on a little bit was that if people choose to go there, they're partially choosing it intentionally to be in that community because it's not going to be New York. It's not going to be Boston. It's not going to be a big city, which yeah. is great. I mean, I've lived in big cities. It's awesome. But I, I think for a two-year program, it's, it's a wonderful place to be, uh, you know, a small college town is a wonderful place to be. There's and you do get people who truly want to be there and really invest in that specific community. And I would assume the same thing is probably true about Charlottesville. Or I I know it is about Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. So I I love that. And then I think the other thing that you said. So I'm a marketer by day, and one of the things we talk about as marketers a lot of times is that you want to be first, best, or only. And <laughs> I do love the fact that Darden really has leaned into the case method and, you know, certainly HBS is too, but like in the only sense of really distinguishing yourself and being unique and making it clear of who you are and who you are not. And yeah. I think that helps them a lot in terms of being able to attract folks like yourself, right? It makes sense to me why you would end up there if you truly appreciated the art of learning and being curious in addition to wanting to get obviously a good, good job. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's super, super, super valuable. Okay, so you're at Darden, um, you're going through and it's been, it sounds like a pretty like good experience overall, but could you talk to me a little bit about, you said some of your long-term goal of being a chief people officer, chief diversity and inclusion officer, but what about in the short term? So what did you decide you wanted to do for your summer internship? And really like, how did you figure out that that was the step that you wanted to take? Yeah, I, I thought about summer internships uh, in sort of a, a three-tiered uh, system. I had this, the, the places that I was interested in that I would take the job uh, and I would learn a lot, but it wasn't my uh, dream role for three to seven years. Then I had the next uh, creme de la creme, like if I get this, I'll feel so lucky. And 
Uh, I think I'm going to love this role. And uh, I would definitely want to compete amongst, you know, trying to weigh the pros and cons of those. And then a couple of things that were even higher than that, only maybe two or three options. And I was fortunate enough to get one of those that I said, if I get this, I'm turning everything else down. I'm not even going to worry about it. And so ultimately, when I got a call from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to join their internship program, um, I had interviews coming up with the top consulting firms, the top tech companies, um, various other leadership development programs at companies. I didn't even go to those interviews. I said, hey, I'll come back to you guys next year. And I, I can't say no to this organization because I just have to know what goes on there. And I really want to feel what it feels like to make a difference at that kind of scale. So I, um, I, I literally cried the last day of my internship. And the reason for that was I just had such a special time there. I got to ask a question to Bill Gates. I got to meet the entire executive team there. I got to work alongside the U.S. poverty team where my boss was uh, the former chief of staff to Bill Gates Sr., so Bill Gates' dad. Um, the work I was doing was stuff I would do in my free time, basically reading about social movements in the United States. And unfortunately, they don't give any offers to any of their interns the way they have it set up. They've been doing the program for 10 years. There's 40 interns from all the top schools, but they just don't have the headcount space. So, uh, and that was a stipulation of Warren Buffett giving 90 or so percent of all of his money 10 years ago to the, the foundation. And so I knew I was going to have to try to find a place that gave me the same level of meaning, the same level of work-life balance, and the same amount of nice people around me. And I knew that was going to be tough. So it was, it was the best internship I could possibly have hoped for, other than the fact that um, I'm not going to go back anytime soon yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And thanks for walking me through that. And what caught me when you were explaining that was the three tiers that you came up with in terms of how you thought about internship opportunities. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about how did you, how did you come up with that? I think that's a really helpful thing. So I would just love to know more about how you kind of came up with that framework to kind of guide you through your recruiting process. Yeah, so I was part of a group called the Consortium for Graduate Study and Management. I don't know, we, did they have that at, at Keenan Flagler? I'm not sure. Oh yeah, I, I'm, a, I was, I'm a consortium alum, so. Okay, perfect. So yeah. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I'm sure some of the listeners don't fully understand um, how, the, how the program works, so good to reiterate some of those yeah. points. So as you know, Al, um, in June, before coming to school, before I'd even moved down to Charlottesville, I got an opportunity to interview and just network with various companies. And one thing that happened for me was I was fortunate enough to get an offer from an organization that was back in Minnesota. Uh, it was an exploding offer. So it was going to go away in October of uh, my first year. So not being able to finish uh, the regular on grounds recruiting process, but it was something that forced me to go through the entire process kind of in an expedited way and see what all was out there and, and go through the, the interviewing and the resume building and all of that. And by the time it came to October, I was able to negotiate to get it extended. Like right at the end of September, I got it pushed until end of January. So I was able to go through the regular on grounds recruiting process. And to be frank, it just gave me a lot of flexibility to be picky and to recruit across different industries and say, ooh, not only do I want to look at 
BCG and Google, but I also want to go out of my way and look at the New York Times and the Gates Foundation. So um, the, uh, the, the three tiers kind of came out of, okay, this, this offer right here is something that I would take and I'm excited about, but it's not a 10 out of 10, it's a nine out of 10. And then, okay, like going to work for McKinsey, that's also like a nine and a half, but I'm not sure I'm gonna love the travel and I'm not sure I'm gonna love um, the crazier work-life balance aspects. And then you had these other places like the Gates Foundation where I said, wow, I can't see the downside of doing this, especially if it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and it's gonna be super hard to get back there as a full-time employee. Let me go and, and throw my hat in the ring right now. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I, I um, so great plug for the consortium, which is a phenomenal organization. I'm a big fan of it. And, and it sounds like you are as well. So first, first piece of it. The second piece of it is that it, Looks sounds to me like that that flexibility allowed you to kind of think through a, a good strategy for how to approach your career search and internship search through that first year, which mm-hmm. I think is really great. And I guess on that notion of how you ended up at the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so as you mentioned, it this was an off grounds um, opportunity. And for mm-hmm. listeners out there, if you're not sure what that means, off grounds or off campus typically just means that. The company organization does not formally come to campus or go through your recruiting or career management center um, to post the job. It, it's something that uh, a student has to kind of initiate on their own. And so uh, could you talk a little bit more about how you went about, you know, finding this opportunity? Because uh, it, 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 to me, it sounds like something that a heck of a lot of people would want to pursue <laughs> and Definitely. pretty competitive. Yeah. Well, I also want to just dispel three quick things about the consortium before I answer that question. Yeah, please do. Uh, sometimes people have these misconceptions about the consortium, which is you don't have to be a person of color to be a part of it. Uh, they define person of color as um, underrepresented minorities, so um, African-American, Hispanic, or uh, Native American. You also don't see that everyone who's part of the consortium gets a scholarship through them. I got a different scholarship, not a consortium fellowship, and not everyone gets an early internship uh, offer before they enter their their program. And so um, I just want to make sure people understand that point, because for me, the, one of the hardest things about having that early offer back in Minnesota was the fact that I didn't tell my friends at school. I didn't want to make them feel jealous that, um, you know, I, I felt secure, at least the first year. Second year was a totally different ball game because I knew I was going to go into the fall without an offer return offer. Um, but I, and I also didn't want to have people put extra um, caseload on me in, in terms of my learning team where they say, oh, you don't have to worry about recruiting as much. We'll give you extra homework, basically. So I just want to make sure uh, I, I explain that a little bit. Uh, in terms of how I found the uh, role at the Gates Foundation, that was through a different organization that's similar to the consortium called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And uh, for that organization, you do have to be an underrepresented minority. Now, this was a really tough call for me whether or not to join that organization. They have two programs. They have one that's called PREP and one that's called Professional Development. PREP is for people who are going through the application process. I didn't do that one. But they also have one called Professional Development for people once they get into a top school to also give you early recruiting opportunities. And as someone who's 
father is African-American, uh, but doesn't, I don't look like, like I always have seen myself as mixed race. Uh, I put two or more on, on the boxes and I don't feel like I fall neatly into the underrepresented minority category. I wasn't sure whether or not it made sense for me to join, but ultimately um, a friend of mine convinced me and so that organization has a partnership with the Gates Foundation. And when October of that fall season came around at school, they had a big super day where online you could do your first round of interviews. And so um, that's how I got connected to them uh, and ultimately got through the whole process. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for articulating that and providing a little bit more insight into both MLT as well as consortium. I think that's I think that's really valuable and both are great organizations out there. If you're a prospective student, you should absolutely check them out and take a look at them. We'll certainly put it in, in the show notes. So going a little bit further into the recruiting process and also maybe tying a little bit to MBA Insider in the book, I know one of the things that I had you kind of talk about in the book was just about networking. And mm. it's something that I think you, you had a little bit of experience with. And something I, I just, I think that you fundamentally just understand and, and whatnot. And so, you know, whether it was for Bill and Melinda Gates or just any of your internship kind of recruiting process, could you talk about the role that networking played and, and how you went about doing it? Yeah, like a lot of people, I thought networking meant begging for a job <laughs> when I first left uh, college. But my first role in the in internal innovation team uh, I had that, I was in that department for a year and a year in, they got rid of, there was about 50 of us and we went down to three people. So I very quickly had to learn what networking meant and that it did not just mean walking around and asking people for, for coffee, for a job. It meant trying to build relationships. And had I built those relationships earlier in the organization outside of my 50 person group department, it would have been easier for me to make a transition somewhere else within the company or if I'd networked at other organizations in the Twin Cities, uh, finding a role there. So I very quickly had to learn that. And it's fortunate that, that the organization I was at didn't just say, here's a box, put your stuff in it one day. They gave our group two months before a severance package was going to kick in. So that was my period of time where I said, all right, I'm setting up these lunches and coffees and, and walk and talks with different folks from around the company and at various other companies in the area. And what ultimately came out of that was I realized, oh, I need to make sure I'm asking these people how I can help them, how I can connect them to someone else or do a little side project for free or just bounce an idea off of them as opposed to saying, hey, please hire me full time to be an analyst on your team. And so I ended up with a couple of two or three really minor uh, extensions to my time there where I was loaned to a different uh, manager. And that's how I ultimately ended up in the internal strategy team. Uh, those folks didn't have an analyst on their, on their team. So I did a lot of the Excel and the PowerPoint work. And so ever since then, uh, it sort of, at the time, it was really out of fear I was networking. Uh, <laughs> but ever since then, it just became a habit where I'd say, okay, let me make sure my calendar is, you know, two, three days out of the week, at least, I'm meeting somebody new or I'm going back to someone who's doing work that I think is interesting, regardless of whether or not they're hiring or whether or not I'm looking. So coming into business school, 
I, I, one, one, I did that during the process. And then two, I did that very comfortably when I was actually on grounds. So I reached out to countless people at various MBA programs to say, hey, what's it like to be a student now to get these kinds of questions answered? Same thing for recent alumni. And I realized that was gonna be beneficial because it's hard to tell what is unique about some of these schools. And it's also helpful for when you write your essays to name drop somebody or when you're in your interview to say, oh, I talked to Al when I was here visiting uh, last, last month before the interview. And so it's just more of that when you get to the recruiting process on grounds to not always say, oh man, like to, to gravel and ask for the job, but to just build a friendship with that person at the company. I remember when I was networking with someone from a major consulting firm, I, I connected that person to two of my other classmates who I thought might also want to recruit for that office because they were also from the Twin Cities. So instead of me trying to push everyone else out of the way in the quote unquote networking circle, I was welcoming other people into that, that process to say, hey, you should talk on the phone with them too. They might also be a great fit. And so I think that was ultimately a reason why they, they liked me so much. But even if I wouldn't have gotten an internship, um, or even if I wouldn't have gotten an interview out of that, I still think it's a good practice to do at any point in your life. No, thank you. I think you nailed it when, um, and, and nailed it when you were explaining networking and, and how it, number one, it helps when you, when you get into the practice of it, even when you don't need it. Because when it comes to a time when you might need it, you've already built that muscle and you've, you've built some relationships that can come in handy. And then the second thing I would say is that I think that a lot of people at some point come around to the idea that, okay, I know I need to do this. And I've been told that I need to also add value, you know, provide mutual value, but how the heck do I do that? And I think your example of tactically how you put two of your classmates in touch with some, uh, someone who worked at this company. Um, you know, those are two potential candidates for, for this company. And I think that's a really great example of how you can provide mutual value in these kinds of relationships. And I think what people sometimes miss is that um, there's, there's short-term and there's long-term, right? And so not everything you do for networking is gonna impact the short-term, right? Like it could be something that very much could extend very well beyond that. And, you know, I think what I, one thing I always try to think about when, when I'm in these kinds of relationships is, is number one, like, what is the right thing to do? Right. Like what fundamentally, like what's the right yeah. thing to do. And then if it's the right thing to do and it's w within my wheelhouse, like I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Uh, and then, you know, at some point down the road, like it may come back and that's great. But from my experience, every time or most of the time when I do the right thing, the world has the way, a way of like working itself out. And at some point down the road, um, it, it comes back to you. Um, so exactly. I, I th but I think tactically, like you, you gave a really good example of, of how to kind of add that, add that value. Um, and I do think too, that particularly with alum, number one, they do want to help you. So, so that's always, always like a benefit, but when you can add something back to them, I know if at least for me, when, when someone goes out of their way to do that, that makes me much more, makes me much more willing to respond to that email the next time it comes around or to maybe go a little bit further out of my way to try to make something happen. Because once I know that someone is, is committed to trying to help others for me, sure. Absolutely. Like I, I will absolutely do that. 
Yeah. I remember even back when I was at that big insurance company and shopping myself around and having those coffees, the look on people's faces, especially for hiring managers, when I would say, how, how can I help you? Yeah. And they would think, what? I thought he probably set this up because I know his department is falling apart. Right. And he probably wants me to help him. <laughs> and usually they couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. So I might go into that saying, oh, I, you know, I actually have an article you might be interested in reading. Yeah. Uh, I'll forward it to you after. But they're so pleased with the fact that I'm asking that they will want to reciprocate and say, oh, no, like, I don't need anything, but how can I help you? And I go, oh, great. You know, I'm actually looking for a job right now. Do you see anything coming up uh, around the organization that's not posted yet? Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the other things about networking that you talked a little about in the book was that during some of the conversations that you would have either with alum or employees, sometimes you would learn things that made you realize, you know what, like, I don't want to work there. <laughs> you know, like that, or no, that, yeah. that doesn't sound like a lot of like fun. Can you talk a little bit about some of some of the experience, you know, with that and, and how it was, how it ended up being valuable in some ways for you? Yeah. So I, I looked at another financial services company and was in the final round of interviews with them. So I think this is probably the one you're talking about. Yes. And uh, the question came to me from the person who, who runs the program. If you could come up with any innovative solution, any kind of product that we currently don't have, what would that be? And I talked about how I think the organization should move more in a direction towards helping people who are um, lower down in, in, you know, below the poverty line, for example, and helping them save for retirement or helping them get out of debt or helping them just in whatever kind of financial needs they have. And I said, you should offer like a really, really low, if not no interest type solution and no load, uh, you know, no minimum that they have to put into an account in order to start investing. And the response I got from that was like, oh, we don't do that. There's no way we're going to do that. And so I was really taken aback because I thought this is an out of the box creative thinking moment. So even if I'm saying something that's not that practical, I can at least think we can envision this. And also, why would I want to work for a place that wouldn't want to do something like that? Right. So <laughs> the, the follow-up conversation I had in the moment was really bad uh, from a candidate standpoint, but I'd already kind of eliminated them in my head. So I, I dropped my facade of being um, the candidate and more of a, you know, I'm just going to be completely openly honest and how I'm feeling in this moment. So I talked about how, you know, I could still see myself maybe working here then. There's some things I like about this organization. And I've worked at an organization before at that other insurance company where the values were great, but they don't completely align to my values. Sure. Yeah. And maybe I can get past that. <laughs> Again, there's no surprise when I got the call the next day that I didn't get it, but I was right. happy I didn't get it. Right. So there's going to come moments where, um, I mean, at any point in your life, you're going to feel like I just need this job and there's going to be reasons for that. And maybe you do have to make sacrifices to get to your ultimate goals, whether it's um, putting, putting food on the table or getting to that next role. But I was in a position where I felt like I don't need this internship yet. This is still um, earlier on in the process. So I'm just going to give them straight talk about how I feel about this. and. Uh, go our separate ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that, I think, I think that's great. And, you know, I think having values and 
um, whether you're a person or a company, <clears throat> excuse me, is a, is a great thing. And at least as a company, they're, they're nice things to put on websites and walls, but when it actually comes time to live them, it can be really difficult. And similarly, as you said, as a person, it's, it's great to have values and it's great to say that you have them, but when you have to make challenging decisions like to put food on the table or earn something even just in business school of like where you want to work for the summer um, yeah. the reality of, of choosing something that aligns to them can be sometimes a little bit more it's a little bit easier said than done but you know as I've gotten to know you over the past you know year and a half like one of the things that has always struck me is your ability to laser focus on your own unique path to success which is certainly I would like to think kind of like guided by what those values you know are and I think that was a specific moment. Um, where that really showed. And so I'm just curious, um, what has really helped you to, as you think about whatever success is and what your values are to really focus on, on that, um, versus, you know, all the noise or all the other things. And, and how have you tried to do that in your time in business school? So one thing that people don't talk about enough in business school is the struggle of the first semester, semester and a half. Yeah. I feel like too often when you talk to current students, uh, especially if it's second year students or alumni, they remember the rosy, you know, final semester when it was more um, uh, partying and, and just enjoying the good life and having an offer. And so I felt like for a lot of the people who I talked to over the phone, when I was going through the application process, when I actually got to September of my first year, that I'd been kind of sold, uh, you know, a false dream. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see how I was getting enough sleep. I didn't feel like I was exercising enough. I didn't feel like I was smart in the classroom. I didn't feel like, um, you know, I was going to be able to quite even compete in the networking circles, if you can believe it. And so I, um, I think the benefit of that was it once again, reinstilled in me, the, the feeling that I had when my first job was eliminated of wanting to help the people coming up behind me who were going to have to experience this, but didn't know they were going to experience a reorg before it happened. Or when I was a second year, then wanting to help the first years get through the core. So when I feel like I was, I was more made to be a second year than a first year <laughs> in business school, because I remember asking the people in my section, Hey, who wants help with their cover letters and their resumes? in uh, the fall. And most people did not take me up on that because they're like, what could you possibly know that I don't already know? We're in the same point. Even if someone's older or younger, there's this, once again, like hierarchy between um, first years and second years, kind of like when you think back to high school, where the older kids just know, know more than you do because they've been through that grade already. So um, I feel like something, everyone always talks about the, the, social, the social life, the classes and the recruiting. But that's the thing that's missing is the extra mental health and physical health component. So I went out of my way this year to try to reach out to first year students and say, what, you know, how are you doing? And in what any dimension that you're thinking about, if it's your personal life, it's your, if it's classes, if it's getting a job, and just try to constantly make myself a resource, both informally in the hallway or formally with an email or a coffee chat, because I remember feeling like, I'm struggling with this, but nobody told me I was going to struggle this much. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think you're right. The, 
the first semester or the first semester and a half can, can be really, really challenging. And I think in general, a lot of times, many of us are much more comfortable talking about the things that were positive. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly from a MBA admissions ambassador perspective, it helps a lot sometimes mm-hmm. to, to, to paint things in those light in that light. But the reality of it is, is that yeah. like anything in life, you know, nothing is all rainbows and, and butterflies. And I also think from my experience, at least when you go to a top MBA program that is surrounded by really hardworking, very smart, very intelligent, very high achieving people, it can be a lot harder to admit sometimes when you're feeling like crap or when you're feeling lesser than, or when yeah. you're, you're, you're not necessarily feeling like you, you measure up or when you do fail in some kind of, uh, some kind of way, right? Yeah. Because you look around and you look at everyone else and you just, you know, you, you, you see this, you see the successes of other people and you're like, well, like I got nothing to show. Um, I can't talk about like this or that, but, um, yep. you know, it's, it's very much, um, it's very much like the analogy of like the iceberg. Right. And like, you see <laughs> the 10% of the, t- of what's above the water with the iceberg. Right. But what you don't see is the 90% that's underneath or whatever percentage you want it to be. And underneath are sometimes are those failures, are those fears, are those concerns, are those insecurities and, and whatnot. And, um, and they're there and they're, and they're real. And so I think that what you kind of articulated is definitely something I've witnessed and seen and experienced myself. But also uh, one of the things I liked about that and what you said is that once you looked around and, and you were feeling this and you were challenged by it, the inclination that you had was to um, be a part of the solution. Right. And yeah. I think that that is really um, number one, that gives you purpose and meaning and, and hopefully makes you feel more comfortable and better. But number two, it also makes a difference for other people. And that certainly has a lot of you know value in and of itself. And counterintuitively, um, it actually also has been a better sales tactic for prospective students. Yeah. Because if you only tell them positive things about what it's like to be in business school, then they're not going to totally believe you. Sure. Totally. I, I've oftentimes tried to be as real as possible and as openly and authentic as I can be. And then I'll see those people saying, oh man, like now this is my top program when they'll send me a thank you email. Yeah. Because they feel like other people have just kind of uh, lied to them because there's no way it could be perfect. Right. Right. Um, so when you're, when you've been in school, you know, there's a bazillion things you could be doing. Mm-hmm. And, yes. <laughs> and a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, there's I always that. a bazillion things, by okay. the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a scientific term. It was going to business school. It's fine. Um, so there's a bazillion things you could be doing. And <laughs> the, uh, the, the fear of FOMO or the fear of missing out sometimes mm. kind of like, um, you know, creeps in, right? Because everyone else is doing it or um, they <laughs> said everyone should be doing it. And then you kind of have to make that decision for yourself of like, Oh, do I do it too? Or do I do something else? And so I'm just curious, you know, thinking about just that and just also kind of, kind of trying to find your own kind of uh, version of success. Like how have you managed, you know, through that FOMO? Um, Because like fundamentally, one of the reasons why business school can be so great is that there are so many opportunities, which is also the same reason why it can be so damn challenging sometimes is (laughs) making sense of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely had a lot of FOMO the first year because you're trying to focus on too many different things. Uh, 
you end up either exhausting yourself if you do go to everything or you say, you know what, I'm going to have to skip this thing. But now the whole time I'm not there, I'm going to feel like I should be. Yeah. So I, I struggled with it a lot less my second year, I think, because of the reasons we just talked about where I felt like I had this bigger purpose where I'd say, yeah, I can skip this happy hour right now because I'm helping this person with their issue, whatever the issue is. And that, that feels more important than just going and having a couple of drinks with some friends. Definitely still did that more often even than I did my first year, but sure. that's more because I had the flexibility and, and less of a recruiting strain um, once, I, once I got a full-time offer in the fall. So it, it's tough though, because I'd never experienced it before. Even in undergrad, there weren't this level of activity. There wasn't this many activities that were structured going on. Right, yeah. There were clubs, but it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, it was kind of like Friday and Saturday night. Sure, people would throw some parties, but, um, you know, I kind of just went to the ones where I had friends from the sports teams I was on and everything was over. You know, it was like very confined in the amount of time you did stuff. Whereas in business school, there, anytime there's any amount of free time, somebody's scheduling something that feels. Yes. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so I feel like, is, is your question like, how did I manage it? Yeah, <laughs> I feel you, like, yeah. I don't know that I really did. I feel like I just more survived it and sure. um, <laughs> uh, acknowledged that I was feeling it. But I, we, had this, we have this thing at Darden where because we don't have class Fridays like many programs, uh, Thursday night is a big night to do stuff. Whether it's our happy hours, which we call our cold calls as an homage to uh, getting cold called in class. And then uh, TNDC, which stands for Thursday Night Drinking Club. And it's usually actually a school-sponsored type of thing where we'll rent out a space in a, in a bar um, down on the corner or downtown and take that over for like three or four hours. So I often skipped the TNDC stuff. I'd be at the, the cold call, barely drinking because I was so tired <laughs> from all the stuff going on during the week. And people would say, oh, are you coming to the thing? Are you going out? Uh, do you want to do this right before? And part of me was thinking, wow, like 21-year-old Adam would be so disappointed that you know you're about to skip this thing. <laughs> totally. There's no way I would have skipped it. But I know that my girlfriend is at home. I haven't spent much time with her during the week. She's got a job, so she's going to work tomorrow morning. I'm tired. And I feel like I've already seen these people a ton. So I already know by six o'clock on Thursday that I'm going to skip this thing. Once again, even though Saturday, Sunday, a couple of days later, I kind of think, oh, I should have been there. Okay, I'll go this week. Um, and eventually you just, um, you find some small way to think about other stuff or you do other activities that you find interesting like board game nights or smaller dinner parties or you fully embrace going to that thing. Um, and hopefully it's, it's what you actually want to do. And it's not what other people are forcing upon you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I think survive is the right word. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think the, so the part of the, the, the name of the book I wrote is MBA insider, how to make the most of your MBA experience. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, people just have to decide for themselves how they want to spend their time. And I, I mean, the, the only real question I always ask people is like, well, what is it? How are you going to make the most of your experience for you? Right? Like there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do mm -hmm. it. Right? Like the only way is in a way that's best fit for yourself mm -hmm. um, and what, and what you're trying to achieve. 
And for some of you, that may mean all the happy hours. For some of you, it may not be or whatever it is, but it really is just unique to you. And it's a simple concept, but again, when you're surrounded by a lot of other people, the herd mentality sometimes can easily kind of like creep in or creep over or, or kind of inform your thinking, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so uh, I think survive is the right word, though, I would, I would say. And that was <laughs> definitely true for me. Um, and on that, I guess... As you think about, you know, the past two years in school, you know, what were some of your own kind of either measures of success or goals that, you know, informed the types of things you chose to be involved in or that you chose to invest your own time in? Yeah. So one thing I'm actually thinking about that is a minor tactic before I answer that question. Sure. Which is, I learned this actually during the application process, the value of turning off all of your screens you know, getting your phone in a completely different room, laptop down, uh, not even playing any music and just thinking. Yeah. I did that a ton where I would stay late at the office in my old job and kind of like map out various parts of my life. Like, how am I doing with my family? How am I doing with my, my friends? How am I doing on this application process? Why do I really want to do this thing? And it's something that's not sexy at all because it would lead to me sure. just having like a stack of white papers that I'd normally be doing like my GMAT questions on and just writing down my thoughts. And so that's a thing that I've tried to continue as much as possible. It was hard to find the time first year, yeah. but certainly I've done it a lot more recently. Yeah. And being a night owl, um, sometimes my, my girlfriend will go to sleep first. I'll be out here and just be thinking about, okay, you know, should I be worried about this? You know, should I be checking with that person? Just kind of mentally going through short-term, long-term, all the different parts of my life and trying to figure out, am I doing this because it's good for me and the people I care about? Or am I doing this because I'm feeling pressure to just have this happen? Uh, it's, just, it's just something that I find most people our age are completely um, divorced from. It's not journaling, although that's probably also a great thing to do. It's just letting your stream of conscience go for an hour uh, instead of distracting yourself with a game or videos. So in terms of the things I've been active in, though, <laughs> um, it was not a bazillion, like you said, but it's a half a bazillion things. I, uh, I joined a lot of clubs. Most people at Darden, because you have to pay for clubs, it's usually like 50 to to $100 per club, will join five to 10 and I think the number I actually joined was around 16 or 17. So I spent way more money on that than I should have. Uh, I also, in my second year, was on the board of a lot of different clubs. We just transitioned that stuff two weeks ago to the first years to start taking it over. And you're allowed to be on two club boards, and I was on four. <laughs> and then um, I also was a second-year coach formally to six different uh, first-year students. But like I mentioned, also – uh, helped coach um, probably another two or maybe even three dozen uh, first year students along their journey. And my favorite thing that I did was the prison program, where every two weeks I've gone into a nearby prison in Virginia and taught using the case method various entrepreneurial uh, cases, usually a little bit shorter than Darden cases, but still five to 10 pages, and um, gone through a lot of math gone through a lot of strategy and marketing um, and helping them also on the side develop their own business plans so that when they got out of, of prison, um, they can either start their own businesses or feel more comfortable 
uh, working at a small company. I think the, the, I mean, I think all of those are great. The last one in particular is sounds really awesome and really rewarding and meaningful in a, in a lot of different ways, just in terms of being able to share and teach a group of a population that probably is underserved in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways. Um, but also to put some of your own kind of learning to use in terms of either what you learned in the case method on that particular topic, or just, just the skills to kind of coach someone how to think about, you know, starting a business or something like that. So I I think that's, I think that's really, I think those are all really, really fantastic things, but in particular, that one that is something that kind of like sticks out to me. And I always tell people too, I mean, there are very, um, very thoughtful reasons to choose a particular activity. Like, you know, if you're interested in management consulting, it makes Mm -hmm. sense to join the management consulting club or yeah, Yeah. if you're interested (laughs) if you're interested in, in, um, in brand management, like, yeah, join the CPG club or the marketing club. And and that's great. And, and that will be valuable, but to also kind of start with your strengths and your interests, right. And and where can you put them to use in a way that not only helps you grow your skills, but in a way that makes an impact, whether that's for your classmates, whether it's for the community, et cetera. Um, I think those are where some of the most rewarding um, uh, experiences really come from because it not only helps you learn, and grow, but helps hopefully make a difference for someone else. So I think, I think that's a really awesome one. Um, there's one other one I was hoping you would say. Um, yeah. Which uh, one was that? What, what were you thinking? <laughs> uh, your, your podcast, man. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. I was actually thinking of two other things while you were just saying that. <laughs> okay. Well, say the two, say the two other things. And then t- t- I would love to, um, I mean, so context, Adam started, Adam started a podcast called the NBA candidate. Um, but, uh, talk about that. But before you do that, list the two other ones, because uh, I would love to hear those too. Yeah. So the two others are um, every Saturday, I teach swim lessons to Darden mm-hmm. students. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we invite anyone to come out and uh, usually we get five or six people. Half the time they've never swam before. It's a lot of times yeah. uh, international students and right. we're just helping them learn how to kick and, and do the basic strokes. So that's been really rewarding as well. And because uh, we both swam uh, in high school and college. And the other one that I started doing recently was over winter break. I picked up chess. I'd never really played chess seriously before. Yeah. And I don't know why I got obsessed with it. I just knew it's a popular board game. turns out it's the most popular board game in the world. And, um, Oh wow. I didn't know that. You think like something else like goofy, like monopoly would be, but (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I don't know why I was so obsessed with it. I watched tons of videos I'm obviously obsessed with Magnus Carlsen now. Yep. And so coming into my final semester, I bought a chessboard just off Amazon Prime and will walk around during the day when I don't in between classes and challenge random people who I don't know that well to chess and uh, decide if they want to have the clock going or not. And we can, you know, make it look official. And I just have found that to be a good way to meet additional folks. That's <laughs> it's not awesome. a chess club or anything. No, <laughs> that's awesome though. <laughs> but it's a fun way to interact. Um, and now with uh, the coronavirus just recently shutting down school, I've been playing people on my phone via chess. And mm-hmm. also um, I've been trying to decide between the balance of, uh, you know, how, what's the tone I want to take with this? Like, is it, more somber and realistic or is it more upbeat and optimistic and so uh, i still haven't figured that out but yesterday i just started a series i'm going to do every friday which is like it's called like i'm going to call i think breakfast club with adam 
we did cereal where we just all, and, and a lot of people have been making like dinner, like fancy dinners via Zoom. Instead, what I'm doing is like really basic cooking. So next week we're gonna do peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> <laughs> so just like the easiest things to cook. I think after that, the people in the, in the chat were saying we should also do mac and cheese. Oh just yeah. The easiest things for anybody yeah. to cook. get your bare bones. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you don't even have to cook with me. Just, um, you know, hang out for an hour. So yes, the podcast, uh, <laughs> still been doing that. I put out, uh, two dozen episodes now over the two years of being here. And the premise of the show is how do I inspire people who don't think that they have the perfect application to get into one of these top programs. So each episode is a different person from a different top 25 school. And we do exactly what you're doing right now, which is talk me through what it was like uh, going through the process. Tell me about your long-term dreams. And I also spend a lot of time figuring out what this person was like as a kid. So one of my favorite questions is the one you started with, yeah. which is what was your uh, first job? But I also like to talk about their family and okay, how did you, how did you get to this investment banking thing? 12 yeah. year old, you probably didn't want to do that. 12 year old, you didn't know what McKinsey was. So, <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope no 12 year old. No, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, just kidding. McKinsey, you're mom. great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like so many of these career paths, like yeah. CPG brand management wasn't a thing I knew existed. Sure. So um, I do this, this same kind of thing. There's no video component, although I, I should play around with that now. Since yeah. People are getting so comfortable with, um, with doing those, but, uh, it's been great because for me, the measure of success was that I've had so many people listen and so many people reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Uh, I think over 50 people now have said, Hey, I love the show. You don't know me, but just want to talk to you. Can we do yeah, 30 minutes great. or, um, talk about Darden, talk about your application process some more. And that's been really rewarding. That's, that's really awesome. No, as, as someone who's listened to almost all the episodes, I, <laughs> and someone who's graduated from business school, I, I still enjoy it and still listening to the stories of students. And I also love how you dig into understanding what they were like growing up. And I think, you know, as many of us know, so much of who you are is developed you know, in, the, in, those, in those years and is influenced by your family, your friends, the things in your surrounding environment. And so being yeah. able to dig in with that curiosity, I think is always really interesting. And, and particularly with, I, think, I feel like you have had such a diverse group of people who have been on the podcast and have come from such diverse places. But I also yeah. think that speaks to what you're saying in terms of there really, um, there isn't a perfect, there, there isn't a perfect candidate. You know, like no. there's, there's, there's a lot of really awesome ones and which are on your show, but there isn't a perfect one. And I think to me, that is one of the things that is really great about your podcast is that it hopefully inspires people that it's it, the, the perfect candidate is, is you being able to tell <laughs> your unique story. Like that is, there's not one, it's just, it's digging within yourself to, to tell your best story of, of who you are and not someone else's. Just to kind of close out, uh, Adam, this has been a great Great chat with you. We've covered a lot of different things. I guess my question to you, just to kind of close, is: you know, um, what advice do you have for either prospective MBA students or current MBA students, just around this idea of being able to use your time in business school to focus on the things that are most important to you? Um, how do you make sure that you really hone in on those 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 key either priorities or goals that like you have, and and not so, and be able to kind of manage the noise of of everything else that's going on. 
Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it is really hard to do. Um, listen to the podcast, listen to the rest of your podcast. That'll help. <laughs> Thank <you. laughs> Thanks. Appreciate um, it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that is really the most difficult thing I think about business school and really about your career in general is everyone's going to give you advice. You're going to get contradicting advice all the time. And so what you've got to figure out how to do is take all that in and keep track of it. But also you have to be able to um, figure out what is going to be right for you and organize those thoughts. So I'll leave you with that is organize your thoughts and try to do so quietly and, and um, do so in a way that you're, you're going to actually internalize all of those things. Great. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this was fantastic. Really appreciate you sharing your story as well as uh, some of your thoughts and, and insights from your experience at Darden. Uh, it's been great having you on here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Al. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.